Welcome to IAQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. Good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio. Today is Friday, June 1st, 2012. Episode number 249 is being broadcast live from our studio in McKees Rocks, Pennsylvania. My name is Cliff Zlotnick, known as the Z-Man. Today, my co-host, Radio Joe Hughes, is teaching an online course. At the controls is our engineer, the lovely Roxy V, Val Bender. <laughs> Thank you, Cliff. Okay, today's segments include the IAQ Radio Trivia Question, an interview with our guest, Dr. Alice D'Elia, roundup with our technical director, Dr. Dieter Weil. I write and post a blog after each show. Check it out at our website, www.iaqradio.com. Now it's time to thank our marquee sponsors. Net Claims Now, providing insurance billing services for the restoration industry. For fire, water, mold, and reconstruction billing, learn more about them at www.netclaimsindustrysubscriptionieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop, visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at clean, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. To listen live, follow the link on your show invitation or the Go to the Show button on our website. You can stream or download archived shows from our website. The show can also be downloaded from iTunes. Don't forget, you can earn ABIHCM points, IICRC continuing education credits, or ACAC renewal credits by emailing Radio Joe and requesting the quiz. Radio Joe's email is joe.use at iaqtraining.com. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the schedule of the training courses you trust at iaqtraining.com.
Win a cool prize by outcompeting fellow IAQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ tri- Radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is easy. Email it to cslotnick at cs.com. Or if you're listening to the show live via your computer, you can text in your answer. Congratulations to John Lapoter, MicroShield Environmental Services, for identifying Russell Game Slater as the scientist who, in his patent number 2133236, outlined the method and apparatus for making fiberglass. The IEQ Radio Trivia Question for Friday, June 1st, 2012, has been sponsored by. Triska, the Tri-State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners Association, who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Check out their new electronic membership category at their website, www.trsca.org. Now for this week's trivia question. Name the organic compound with the chemical formula CH2O. Hint, it is the simplest form in its class. Dr. Alice D'Elia is laboratory director at PRISM Analytical Technologies in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. She manages PRISM's data analysis group and is the technical lead on all of PRISM's air testing products, as well as in the analysis and interpretation of all test data. Dr. D'Elia received her BS in chemistry from Kalamazoo College and her MA and PhD degrees in atmospheric and oceanic sciences from the University of Colorado. She has extensive knowledge of atmospheric processes and their implications for air quality compliance and safety. In addition, she is proficient in the operation of gas chromatograph mass spectrometer instruments and performing the chemical profile interpretation of the GSMS data. During her six-year tenure at PRISM, Dr. D'Elia has been responsible for the development and deployment of several new methodologies for air quality testing in homes. On June 19, 2012, Dr. D'Elia will be delivering a technical paper she co-authored at the American Industrial Hygiene Association's Conference and Expo on the topic of tobacco smoke detection using VOC markers. In a previous position as an environmental analyst at ASE Inc., a subsidiary of Booz Allen Hamilton, Dr. D'Elia wrote and presented several presentations to the Department of Defense Environmental Cleanup Office and to the U.S. Congress. Uh, Dr. D'Elia, we have some introduction music for you. Okay. Dr. Alice D'Elia, thank you very much for joining us. Can you hear us okay? Doctor? Doctor, can you hear us okay? Uh, there we go. Yeah, I'm, I'm here. Perfect. Okay. Well, thank you very much for joining us and taking some time out of your Friday. I'm sure you're kind of busy and getting ready for the weekend. Well, let's get right into the interview. Are we scaring ourselves to death, or should we really be concerned about chemicals in the indoor environment? 
Well, I think that's a little bit of both. Um, I think uh, there are an awful lot of things in the air that we, we don't really think about on a day-to-day basis. Um, they're, they're all around. They don't necessarily have a smell or they don't make us feel bad, but there's lots of stuff in the air um, that we, you know, they're exposed to. And over the long term, you know, there can always be effects and, and things that can, can happen with the what we're breathing in or, or are exposed to. Um, but on the other hand, you know, sometimes people aren't really aware of, of, of that and, and should take more concern, and then some people are more too, a little bit too aware and, and, and can be uh, overly concerned about things that really shouldn't have a, a big impact on them. So it's a little bit of both on that one. Okay. Would you agree that most indoor air quality problems, you know, when it comes down to it, can be narrowed down to three things, chemicals, biologicals, and particulate? Um, yeah, I think that pretty much covers a, a pretty broad range of things that, that can, can cause problems in the indoor air. Um, the only other thing would be that, uh, would be the, the kind of what sometimes are referred to as, as comfort, uh, qualities, which would be something like temperature, humidity, those kinds of things, um, which can also certainly affect your indoor air. Okay. Um, out of the three, chemicals, biologicals, uh, particulate, um, do you have a greater interest in terms of indoor air quality? Um, well, certainly professionally, my focus is much more on the chemical uh, portion. Um, that's, that's sort of what, what we do here at PRISM. Um, but that they're really all three, you know, are, are kind of, you know, in different circumstances, equally important. I mean, you know, the biologicals, the one people most often think of is probably mold. Um, that can have a huge impact on people, um, even sometimes small amounts if it's, you know, somebody that's especially sensitive or, or, or the wrong, you know, the species is, is particularly irritating or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of the same with the particulate. Obviously, there's particulate dust, things like that around us all the time. Um, most times, it's not really a problem, but... You know, maybe you just put some insulation in or just did something that stirred up all the dust in the air and, and um, or, you know, fires. You know, you get a lot of particulate if you have a fire, you know, soot, things like that, that that can certainly cause a big problem as well. So, uh, it's, yeah, kind of a, a mix of all three. Uh, have, have you done much work with uh, fire-related uh, residues? Uh, we have done some. Um, it's... That's a it's a tricky one because I mean the fires are really different depending on you know obviously what burned um, how long the temperature of the fire all those kinds of things um, the extent of the fire can have a really big impact on on what the residue that's left over that people then have to deal with clean up remediate in some kind of way mm-hmm. um, you know you get you know there's wood you know that gives you kind of one set of of uh, certainly chemicals as well as particulate. You get, you know, plastics and things like that that give you a whole different set, you know, all sorts of engineered products we have nowadays that, um, you know, you know, 50 years ago we never never even existed. So that has a whole different, you know, set of, of chemical compounds that can be released uh, when those are heated uh, or stressed like that. You know, I understand, you know, from looking at the website that you have this, that your firm's developed this home air check process by which a homeowner can... Uh, you know, run the sampler, take a sample, send it back to you for analysis, and then they get their report. And I, I just have a question about the report. Would finding an infinitesimal amount of a hazardous material in a home or in an office pose a true threat to building occupants? 
Um, well, it depends a lot on, you know, which particular hazardous material or, or compounds that, uh, um, that, that were found there. Um, obviously, different hazard levels or, or exposure limits, things like that, exist for different compounds. Um, and it also depends a lot on the people who are exposed to it. Some people are much, much more sensitive to um, various chemicals than other people, or, or even just certain chemicals, not just everything, but maybe just two or three things. If they're exposed to those, they get feel really bad, headaches, nausea, you know, all those kinds of things can sometimes happen. Um, uh, one good example might be benzene, um, which is certainly a hazardous uh, chemical. It's a carcinogen, not nice stuff to breathe in. Um, it's one of the components in gasoline, so it's fairly um, common to find it both in homes and offices. Uh, and I, I, really, in, from what I've been able to see here, we, you know, it's it's almost everywhere. You'll see just a little bit of the benzene will show up in almost every single air sample that we look at from a kind of a home office kind of a location. Um, and for most people, it's not going to be a problem because it's below a level that 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 their bodies, you know, can't, you know, at a certain point their body can't handle it or it kicks it in or you know it's affecting them in a in a particular way. Um, most people, it's not a problem. Um, but every once in a while, I get somebody who's particularly sensitive to petroleum products, and and they have a really hard time with that. Okay, can you tell us about the sampling process used in the home air check process? Just you know, can you give a visual to our customer? You know, a box arrives, and you know what's in the box, and what do they do with what's in the box? Yeah, sure, sure. It's a yeah, it's a fairly small little kit, um, so it'll be fairly easy to to handle. And uh, depending on you know kind of what you ordered, how many, all that kind of stuff, there will be um, a small uh, sampling pump. It's um, I don't know about maybe five inches long, two inches wide, inch and a half tall, something like that. It's just a very simple battery operated pump, just an on off switch. We we preset them here at the lab before we send them out. Um, and along with that comes some sample tubes to collect the sample on, and that's just a, it's just a, what we call it's a thermal desorption tube. Um, so what that is is really, it's the, the tube itself is about four and a half inches long, quarter inch in diameter. It's got three different materials inside it to absorb a pretty wide range of different kinds of chemical compounds. That'll give us a pretty good idea of what's going on in the air um, in terms of the VOCs. Um, and basically just put the tube in the pump, turn the pump on, leave it on for, you know, two to two to three, three and a half hours, something like that. Um, and then put the whole thing back away, fill out, there's a little form to fill out. This has got some basic information about, you know, where you take the sample and what day and how long and, and those kinds of things. And then you just ship the whole thing back to us and we run that here on our instruments um, and then and generate the report that uh, gives information about what's in that particular air sample. Okay, which instruments exactly do you run the home check air process tubes through? Um, that is primarily the uh, the GCMS, uh, the gas chromatograph mass spectrometer. Okay. Um, it's really sensitive, really specific in terms of the chemical identification of the compounds that are in the uh, air sample. Um, it's actually a pretty nice, pretty nice system there. We actually get we actually get way more information than we really use for the home air check because um, we try to distill it down a little bit into something that we can that the person who receives the report back can use more like as an action plan in terms of okay, do I have a problem with the air in my home or do I not? Um, and there's some numbers there that that indicate you know what kind of you know, sort of general air quality kinds of things, um, as well as a, a mold uh, a total mold VOC number as well that gives you an idea of how much mold might be actively growing in there. And then there's also a list of basically categories or, or source um, 
source, basically different types of sources that you might look for um, in, in terms of what might be in your home. So like you know, we mentioned uh, benzene and gasoline before. So gasoline is one of the components we have listed there. There's paints, personal care products, um, you know, PVC, cement, uh, dry cleaning, you know, it's all sorts of different kinds of things that are in there that are, are commonly found in a home that, that may be high, may be low, you know, there's a different mix in every single home. Yeah, I thought on the website, uh, the the, um, the diagram that you had was very interesting, you know, of a home and, you know, you would click on, you know, different parts of the home and, um you know, I guess a checklist would come up of some of the things that you would commonly, you know, find underneath the kitchen sink or find in the garage or find in the mm-hmm. basement. And I found that uh, very useful. Um, can you give examples how the test results would be properly utilized? You know, well, what- um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a valuable tool uh, that you can use to, to see either just to get an idea if you, if, you know, what's in the house, just a general kind of thing. If you've got a specific problem that you're trying to find out more information about, um, it does give, as I said, quite a bit of information about uh, the, the things that might be in your home. Um, you know, it's kind of one thing you have to kind of look at it and then look around what you have in your house and see, you know, okay, well, okay, okay, and looking at the description now we have here for, for example, again, going back to gasoline, um, you know, in your garage. So, most people have a garage. Sometimes they're attached, sometimes they're not. Um, there might be, um, well, it's probably a car um, there. That's normally not a source for gasoline because those tanks are sealed pretty tightly, unless there's, a, of course, a mechanical problem with the car. Um, but there's an extra gas tank that you got, you know, those little red cans you got sitting on the side there. Um, there's a lawnmower. There's a, you know, a snow, snowblower or a, something, some other kind of lawn equipment or recreational equipment or something like that. Those tend to have much less well-sealed gas tanks, and so you might get a little bit of comments that come out from that. Then might, you might have spilled some on the floor and it soaked into the concrete and, you know, all those kinds of things that, uh, you know, you take, you take a look at that report, you look at the description, you go look in your garage, see if you can find any of those things. Uh, and then from there you can say, okay, well, I don't need this here. I can get rid of this. Or, gee, I could just put this somewhere else. Or, you know, it's not really tightly closed. Let me just make sure that's, you know, properly taken care of, that kind of thing. Um, that would be, you know, an appropriate way to, 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 to use the, uh, the, the report to try to find out what's going on. Well, thank home. you. Thank you for that. How would or what would some examples be of where you've seen a report used improperly? Um, well, sometimes people will. Um, it's, it's not really meant to be, a, you know, a real everything you can possibly know about that particular space. Um, I mean, as we just talked about, there are some things it doesn't really cover, like the particulates. Um, that it, you know, so there are some problems. You know, if you, I mean, you put fiberglass and you've got fiberglass particulate everywhere, it's not going to really pick that up. Um, certain locations, uh, I mean, it's kind of designed for a home, so sometimes people will try to use it in a non-home environment. And, and I mean, the numbers, you know, are, are, are correct, but the way there's sort of some built-in interpretation in terms of the categories of the sources that might be there, um, so if you're using a non-home environment, sometimes that built-in interpretation doesn't quite quite go. So if you use it in, you know, let's say you're, you, uh, you have a problem at work and you, you want to try to, you know, see if you can find out what's going on. And so you stick it in your desk drawer, you know, because you're trying to you know, kind of do it kind of quietly, you know. <laughs> so right, you're, you're right. going to really see what's in your desk drawer. You're not, you know, you're not right. going to really see the whole, the whole picture there. Um, 
or sometimes people have uh, um, not, in sense, not in a sense used it improperly, but taken it improperly in the sense that, um, well, we had one incident uh, a few weeks ago where got a really big high hit of ethanol, um, which is in a lot of cleaning products, personal care products. It's also the consumable kind of alcohol, so your beer, wine, hard liquor, that kind of thing. Really, really high. Um, so we went back, did a little bit of uh, uh, talking with that particular person and found out that the person who took the sample, this is a, uh, took it while they were making a sauce where they put, were putting vodka into the sauce. Mm-hmm. Um, so needless to say, not only was the vodka open, but you, they were heating it up. So it was just <laughs> filling the entire space. So that gave an in, it, it kind of an incorrect view of, of what was really going on in terms of on the, a routine or daily basis in that particular location. Gotcha. Well, if I was a homeowner and I was suffering from a headache or asthma and uh, I utilized the home air check process and my lab test found uh, many chemicals in my home and and once I got this list of chemicals, you know, I would go onto the internet, which is probably a natural thing, and I I would begin testing or I would begin, you know, researching these various compounds and, you know, I would find that... They might cause headaches or might exacerbate asthma. Uh, how certain can I be that the chemicals found in my home are causing the problem and it's not um, biologicals or it's not particulate? Cause it, it... Well, I think the, the easiest and probably least expensive way to, to try to test that out is to just leave the home for a while. Um, if you're at if you go to work every day and you feel better at work or maybe you go on vacation for a week, something like that, and you feel much better when you're away and when you come back, then you, you feel worse again, that's a good indication that something in your home is, is causing a problem for you. Um, now, it gets a little tricky because just because it was on a lab test report doesn't mean that that's what's causing the problem for you. Um, I mean, no test will test for absolutely everything. It's just you know, physically impossible to do that. So. Now, it, now, usually people, the tests are going to be for the things that are most commonly going to be a problem or the things that are the most toxic or those kinds of things. So, you know, there's a good, there's a really good chance that that's the case. But, but you do have to certainly think about, okay, let me go through this list first, find any of these things that I can, you know, get rid of them or, or do whatever I can to, to make that less of a factor. And if you still have a problem, then, you know, then you, then you have to go a little further uh, in terms of trying to figure out what specifically it is that's causing you the problem. Um, and, and one of the things to think about, too, is, um, you know, most test re- reports, you know, are going to give you, you know, a list of chemicals or something like that. And, but the chemical doesn't just kind of show up out of nowhere. It comes from something. So if you can find the source of that, whatever that is, either, it's either a product, um, an object, uh, or a particular set of circumstances, um, maybe you have a leak in your, in your plumbing, in the shower. So every time you, you know, you take a shower, you get more water coming out and, you know, that's feeding the mold that's growing behind your wall in the bathroom and, you know, so, you know, that kind of thing um, to, to, to figure out what's going on. So that's actually one, coming back to the, the home air check again, that's one of the reasons why we did kind of put it in those terms of those source categories so that, you know, not everybody has to be an expert. It doesn't have to be a chemist, don't have to, you know, know lots and lots of stuff about different chemicals. You know, they can just look for the things in their home that they can recognize from those source descriptions. Do you think that it would be a natural tendency when someone got the report and, you know, let's just say that the report did show a little bit of ethanol or did show a little bit of benzene and, you know, the customer, you know, goes on to the internet and they see that 
benzene can cause headaches or that ethanol can cause headaches and I have a headache and I have ethanol in my house or I have benzene in my house, therefore ethanol or benzene is my problem and then they, you know, they focus on the wrong thing. I mean, do you, do you ever find that happens? Yes, that can certainly happen. It's it's really actually easy um, because some physical symptoms are very common um, to uh, in terms of t- to a lot of different kinds of chemicals. Um, now, a lot of that too depends on how much you're exposed to. So, a little bit of something is is oftentimes not going to cause a problem um, for your, your sort of normal normal healthy uh, person, but a lot of it could cause a big problem, even though it's not technically hazardous. Um, uh, so, so that can certainly happen, and, it, and since information is so available on the web, and it can be pretty comprehensive if you know where to look, um, it, it can be very deceptive if you, um, to, to find that kind of information. That's also the point, if you've got a serious problem like that, um, where you, know, you have a serious health problem or you know, a persistent thing you just can't find the source of, it is a good idea to get a professional air quality uh, person involved who can either take some additional tests, they can look around and just from their own expertise and experience, they can look at, you know, your home and say, oh, well, gee, you know, you, you don't ever change the air out in your house. It's just building up and up and up and up and the levels are getting higher and higher and higher. And, and so it's not really one particular compound, it's the actual circumstance of the house itself that might be causing a problem. Gotcha. Okay. I think what we're going to do at this point is we're going to stop for halftime. Uh, we'll, we'll thank our sponsors again, and it, just please hang on, and we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Thanks to our association sponsors, the National Air Duct Cleaners Association, NADCA, is the leading authority for information on HVAC inspection, cleaning, and restoration. Visit NADCA at www.nadca.com. The Indoor Air Quality Association, IAQA, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at www.iaqa.org. And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors. Net Claims Now, providing insurance billing services for the restoration industry. For fire, water, mold, and reconstruction billing, learn more about them at www.netclaimsnow.com Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. 
Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at clean, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. Okay. Well, let's get back to our interview uh, with Dr. Alice D'Elia. Dr. D'Elia, can you give us some recommendations as to methods for removing VOCs from the interior of a residence? VOCs that are present. Oh, oh, sorry. I guess I was muted there. I apologize. I'm sorry. Um, I, the uh, I think the 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 best way to to reduce the VOCs are um, to get rid of the sources of the VOCs. Okay. Um, that would be the the very best first thing that you can do. Um, now, of course, sometimes you can't do that. There are certain things you have in your home that you need or or um, are part of the building itself that you just, you know, that you can't get rid of it because it's, you know, part of the, the structure of the home. Um, so then you're, you're, if you can't find out what the source is or you can't remove it, then there's, you can certainly work, work at containing it. Um, there are certain things, um, let's say cleaning products, for example, and everybody has to clean your home, so you have to have those kinds of things um, in, in your home. Um, but when you're not using them, for example, you could put them into some sort of a container with a tight-fitting lid that, you know, so that they're just the, the, the sort of very slow uh, uh, off-gas from those particular um, products um, isn't getting into your air on a routine basis, mm-hmm. as, as one example. Um, you can also work at diluting what you have in your, in your home as well. For example, you know, when you're getting ready in the morning um, in, in the bathroom, you can put the exhaust fan on because um, there's all sorts of things you use in the morning that uh, what we call kind of personal care products that general category, um, that that can be pretty strong. I mean, uh, if you, you know, go in the bathroom, you're like, wow, there's a really strong, you know, you got all sorts of soaps and, and you know, all sure. sorts of other kinds of things that you use in the morning. Um, that's a good way of doing it. Um, in general, dilution, I mean, most homes don't have adequate air changeover. Um, either a combination of the type of, of system that they have. Uh, for example, if you don't have a, a forced air uh, ventilation system, I mean, you're going to have a hard time with that anyway, because you've got just, you know, radiant heat kind of thing. Um, you've got a forced air system, you can certainly run the exhaust fan on that, even if you're not, uh, or, or put on a fan setting, excuse me, even if you're not uh, actively heating or cooling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, certain times of the year, you can't really, like, open the windows. You know, wintertime, it just doesn't work very well in a lot of cases. Or in the summertime, when it's really hot and you, you have air conditioning that you want to leave on, you can't, it's hard to get the air moving through through a home, but that will certainly dilute out what uh, what uh, it builds up in the home, and uh, generally make things uh, nicer in terms of what you what you can smell or notice in, uh, in terms of air quality. If you've got a really severe problem, or you've got somebody who's very sensitive to, to VOCs, there are some air purification technologies that you can employ that will help to dilute what's there. It won't get rid of it, but it can dilute it down a little bit, make it into a more manageable or at least less 
irritating or or um, potentially you know, whatever potential health effects or problems you may have may decrease those a little bit. Um, such as what sort of air purifying? Um, I mean, you can mention either brand names if you want or just general types, whatever. Um, well, there are, are quite a lot, um, and it can be very confusing. Um, there are some that are just uh, HEPA filters, which would be for particulate. Um, those aren't going to really do much for the uh, VOCs or, or, or the biological, well, some of the biologicals that it may help with. Okay. Um, that's the kind of thing that you're more likely to be able to buy at your, you know, Home Depot or something like that for 50 to 80 bucks, that, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you really need for something like that, for the kind of chemical uh, kind of filtration that we're looking for here, would be a much more sophisticated and, and of course, subsequently much more expensive system usually, um, where it'll usually have several filters involved with it. Those kind will have, well, often will have a HEPA filter, maybe an electrostatic uh, filter as well to also help with the particulates some sort of a, a, a filter that's got a, either activated charcoal or something else to try to absorb the chemicals that, that pass through it. A lot of them will have a UV uh, uh, light to help to, to kill off some of the biologicals, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but one of the things you have to have if you're going to have a system like that is you have to have some airflow through it. Otherwise, it just sort of sits in one place. Um, so you can get some of those that are built into the ducts work if you've got a forced air system or you can get standalone units that you might put in a particular room maybe a bedroom because you spend a lot of time sleeping in your bedroom or if there's a particular person who's got some problems or you can move it around actually a little bit during the day depending on where you are and those kinds of things you know earlier in the interview um, you had advised um, homeowners or people that you know worked in an office that were having a significant problem um, that, you know, at some point they need to bring in a professional. And, uh, you know, I suspect that you've worked with professionals in these types of situations. And what I'm looking for might be some recommendations as to techniques and procedures um, that you have found uh, effective um, performed by professionals in either homes or buildings in which there was an indoor air quality problem. Anything come to mind? Um, well, yeah, certainly quite a few. You're right. We do work with a, a large number of professionals um, as well. Um, and uh, um, there, there are a few sort of kind of standard things that you can do. And then, of course, there's a whole bunch of other things that may or may not work depending on the particular circumstances. And, you know, that's really where the professional's expertise really comes in handy because they kind of got eyes on the, the situation there and, and can, can, can look and see what the best, uh, best strategy might be. Um, Certainly, as we just talked about, removing whatever sources, if you can find them, would be absolutely the best thing um, that you can do. Um, there's, you know, as we just, again, just talked about, the, the amount of uh, air change in that particular location um, is always a concern, and, and what most uh, professionals might look at, it, whatever the HVAC kind of system uh, is for that particular area. If there is, if, it's, if there's new construction or there's just been renovation done, um, you can do a, a what's called a bake-out uh, where you kind of close the area up, heat it up um, to, you know, something fairly hot, 80, 90 degrees Fahrenheit, something like that maybe for a few hours, kind of open it up, flush the air through, get some big fans, um, push the air out, close it up, you know, kind of repeat for um, as necessary. I mean, sometimes usually you'll do that for a day or two uh, at least. So that is intended to increase the rate of off-gassing of all those brand new building materials that were just put into that particular location. 
Um, that is usually because there's a especially the new materials. They're going to have a they're going to give off a lot of VOCs initially, um, and then over time that will slowly start to decrease. So what the bake out is intended to do is to increase that rate of off-gassing. So you get that really big rush of a whole bunch of chemicals coming out all at once. Get that over with quick, quickly so you're down on the on the lower end of that kind of slope, um, uh, which is a much usually easier to place to be, um, especially if you've got, you know, things. Painting is a big one. Um, I mean, obviously, anytime you do something like that, you're going to paint. Uh, usually you'll smell it for a few days. Um, but actually, the, the 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 VOCs given off by paint can linger for over a year, um, so it it can actually last for a really long time. We just don't really pay attention, don't really notice it very much. So, um, some people have used ozone generators for for various purposes, um, and and those certainly do have a place. But I think that's something that needs to be used very carefully. Um, ozone is actually very destructive. Uh, so the the point of using it is, you know, to you know to you know, for example, a lot, a lot of people will sometimes use that for um, if there's been a big mold problem and they want to make sure they've killed all the mold off, they'll bring that kind of thing in. Um, but it is, for example, the primary component of ground-level smog, so you're kind of bringing smog into your house <laughs> uh, when you use one of those, so you do need to be careful and, and not make sure you're not doing that on a routine basis. I have seen some um, air cleaning technologies that have like a low ozone setting um, where they'll just it'll kick on every once in a while and, and produce some ozone and I'm really not in favor of those uh, use of using it in that way you know in, in terms of the ozone I, I find that oftentimes people don't look at it as a chemical and you know because it's you know you, you plug a machine in and you turn it on you know I, you know most homeowners and I think even professionals don't necessarily realize that you know there's actually a very strong oxidizing gas in that in that equipment and I've also seen from experience as well situations where people have utilized it for a specific purpose like there's an odor in here and I'm going to use ozone and it's going to resolve the problem and it's kind of like taking a beagle dog which might naturally chase rabbits and have that beagle dog confront a raccoon or a fox or something else or a bird or, or, or whatever. And, you know, ozone is going to react, you know, oftentimes with the first thing in which it encounters. And I think oftentimes you can have some results that uh, can be uh, unpredictable. So I think it can work really, really well. And I think in other situations, um, you never know what you're going to get with it. Yeah, I would have to agree with that one. It's, uh, I mean, it'll it'll react with anything, so not just what you want to react with, but right. everything else as well. So, especially in a home, I mean, you, you know, rubber, for example, it'll right. break down rubber and other kinds of things. You can get it can, can become brittle, discolored, kind of weakened. Um, so just that's just the physical things that are in the home. Not not even speaking of, you know, the other things as you mentioned, you know, the odor that bring it in. Um, but unless you actually go completely to you know fully oxidized, you know, fully broken down it's going to maybe make more problems because it's going to make additional compounds that weren't there before that may actually be worse than what you started off with, I mean, depending on the individual circumstances and, and all that. So. Yeah, I, I like recommending it for fire restoration situations in where 
they have what they call an ozone chamber where they have a specific room in which they bring things that they wish to treat with ozone, but they're not um, treating a whole house with it. Because if, if, you know, if you have a bad reaction with a thing, you know what the thing is. And by removing the thing, you know, you're not going to have an ongoing problem. But, you know, I, I have seen some chemical reactions set off in houses where ozone was used and reacted with something and they couldn't really figure out exactly what it reacted with. And, you know, sometimes it'll actually, um, you'll end up with sweet smelling compounds. You know, it can create aldehydes and things like that, for, you know, when it reacts with different things in the environment. So I've seen that. Yeah, actually, there's a, there's a, I don't know if you've come across it or not, but there's a spectacular example of that actually with paint, um, especially if painting has just recently happened. It hasn't really had time to really set. I mean, it might be dry, but it hasn't really had time to fully, uh, I don't know if cure is quite the correct word, but mm -hmm. uh, really fully bond together. If you use an ozone generator, what you'll do is you'll break the bonds in the paint, and you will get basically a combination of aldehydes and acids that will produce a really unpleasant odor that you you really absolutely cannot get rid of. You can you can maybe reduce it, but especially on a warm, sunny day, that odor will always come back, and, and there's just really nothing you can do uh, at that point. Can they, could they coat over it at that point? I mean, with something that had really good vapor barrier, you know, properties like, uh, you know, maybe an epoxy or something like that, will that hold it back or it'll get through that as well? Well, it, it, it can help. Um, there, there, I have come across a few situations where this has happened and they've been like, okay, well, now what do we do? Um, so you try kind of washing it down and kind of remove that surface layer, sealing it with something. Um, but the problem is that even if you seal the front surface, the back surface is just attached to drywall or whatever it was painted onto, that's 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 somewhat porous, so it'll leak kind of out the back. And then okay. um, there's all sorts of places where where your your inside air is exposed to the you know the, the air behind the walls. Like let's say you've got you know everybody has uh, electrical outlets, so you can get some leakage in through those and various other places where you may have holes punched in the walls for various purposes. Um, so you're still going to get some of it. You may be able to reduce it, but I haven't ever come across a case where they've been able to get rid of it entirely, unless they just um, ripped out all the drywall and started over. Wow. Well, I want to ask you some like technology questions about the different types of technology uh, that I found on the website. What exactly is what you refer to as air scan technology? Well, our our TDT air scan. Um, so that's kind of a combination of the uh, the the tube I described earlier um, with the home air check that has uh, got the different absorbent materials in it. Um, uh, so it's kind of a combination of that particular tube, uh, which we've we've designed, as I said, in order to capture as wide a range of chemical compounds as we can, um, along with the instrumentation that we have available to us. Um, we have a GCMS, as I mentioned earlier. We also have um, FTIR, um, Fourier Transform Infrared, um, that is also very val valuable in a lot of cases as well. Um, and then, and then we also have a pretty big database in terms of both chemicals that we have. You know, we we know what, where they are, we know what they look like, we know what the response is on our instruments and on our our, our uh, thermal absorption tubes, as well as a whole bunch of you know interpretation and of okay, well here's this particular set of compounds. Well, that's great, but now what do I do? You know, so that kind of information as well. So the combination of all those things um, together is really what what makes up the TDT air scan. What would the operating principle be of your mold scan technology? 
Well, that's using the, the TDT air scan um, in a particular way. Um, there are uh, lots and lots of chemical compounds that are produced by mold as it grows. Um, it can vary quite a bit depending on the species, the surface that the mold is growing on, the amount of water, temperature, you know, all those kinds of things. Um, so uh, what we have done for that is we went through um, both a, a pretty comprehensive literature search as well as some some testing um, with some collaboration we've done with some, some mold experts and came up with a list of chemical compounds that are, produ- that are produced by a majority of the molds, I mean, not necessarily all the time, but, but, a, but a pretty good, good portion of the time um, that don't have too many other um, sources to kind of confuse the issue. Um, and we basically use those as, as indicators of the presence of actively growing molds. Um, and then and, and over time, we've also built up a little bit of an interpretation scale in terms of, well, you know, this number usually indicates there's a little bit. I mean, the kind of thing you'd have, you know, around your, you know, your freezer uh, seal. Um, there's a little bit of mold growth because there's condensation there and the plants in your house and things like that, all the way to the house is practically falling down because the, the walls have been eaten away by mold. Um, so over time, we've built up a, a little bit of that interpretation scale. So given the number that we get, um, from those particular chemical markers that we use, we can give an estimate as to what the level of mold uh, that might be growing in that particular location could be. Let's, what I think is fascinating is what your firm's doing with tobacco smoke. Uh, tell the listeners about that. Well, that's actually somewhat similar to the mold scan um, in that we have identified uh, several chemical compounds that are markers uh, for tobacco smoke. Because, again, tobacco smoke, if you've actually ever looked at any of the, the test results from, like, and literally, there's just the smoke itself and what you can see there, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of chemical compounds that, that can be present in tobacco smoke. So we've, we've identified a handful of them, again, also with a combination of extensive literature searching and, and our, own, um, our own testing uh, to, to find those particular chemical compounds. And they're they're fairly universal, um, that, that, the compounds that we use, and, and so we've been able to have pretty good uh, good results in terms of being able to predict the level or the uh, the, the presence, at least, of the tobacco smoke that, that in a particular location. You know, one of the things I found on your website, or it, perhaps it was in our correspondence, I don't remember, but uh, most people understand what secondhand smoke is, and, and I saw this term, thirdhand smoke, uh, you know, either on your website or in, in some of the correspondence. What exactly is third-hand smoke? Well, third-hand smoke um, is uh, certainly had a lot less press, um, but maybe kind of more of a pervasive problem than, than second-hand smoke. I mean, that second-hand smoke is really what you breathe in when somebody near you is smoking. Um, third-hand smoke, or sometimes called environmental smoke or environmental tobacco smoke, um, is really the residue that's left over on, on surfaces or in the air after the smoking that has been going on has ceased. So this is the stuff that'll, that'll surface out, that'll you know, go out on the surface of, you know, your counter, your carpet, your couch, your clothes, all that kind of stuff. Um, as well as, again, the stuff that kind of just hangs in the air when there isn't visible smoke left, but, you know, that stuff dissipates somewhat slowly. Um, so that, that's really what the third-hand smoke is, and that's what a lot of people are really concerned about because they're like, yeah, you know, nobody's been in here, but I can still smell it, you know, or, or, you know, I quit smoking, you know, a month ago, and I still smell it everywhere, or, you know, those kinds of things that, that people notice um, uh, are where this test really does come in very handy for that. 
You know, have you um, found any remedial methods that work well for situations where, uh, you know, there's a problem with third-hand smoke? Well, um, you can certainly do some fairly extensive cleaning um, or replacing of materials, depending on on what the particular situation is. Um, you know, certainly, you know, you can do a, a heavy, you know, a, you can dry clean a whole bunch of your clothing. Um, you can or, or steam clean um, the carpets, the upholstery. You know, mm-hmm. wash down all the surfaces. So that would be counters, walls, ceiling, cabinets, furniture. You know, any of those kinds of things. Um, in general, uh, you know, if you can get rid of the carpet, uh, the carpet would probably be one of the hardest ones to, to get rid of the, that particular residue from because um, it can just get really deep in and there's only so much you can do to clean the carpet. In general, as a general sort of air quality thing, um, it's better to have some sort of a hard surface floor with rugs on it as opposed to carpet just because it's so much more difficult to, to deal with the carpet once because you can't get it out, you can't rip it out, I mean, you can't clean it, you can't remove it to clean it, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Um, the other thing that can be a problem are, especially for furniture, if there are cushions on that furniture, you know, the, that stuff can kind of permeate all the way deep into those cushions, which you can't really clean at that point. You're, you're down to the replacement option. You replace the, either the, the, whole, the whole cushion or you take out the cushion part out of the, the, the upholstery and you, you replace that. Um, it, but it can be very difficult to get that out. And, and the, the odor threshold for cigarette smoke or tobacco smoke is pretty low. In other words, you can smell it even at really small amounts, right. um, which can make it one of those irritating things that you know, sort of nags at the back of your, I guess the back of your nose uh, or the back of your head um, that you just, you just can't quite shake it. So that's, it's, it can be a very tricky problem. Well, I know we have a lot of people listening. I have a little tip um, where you may be able to get a, Let's say a remedial treatment, let's say it was a liquid remedial treatment, something like that that you were using in terms of trying to either um, you know treat an odor problem in a cushion or in certain situations, you know you may try to desorb it perhaps, and you know you could use a simple solution which might be nothing more than uh, some type of alcohol and uh, water mixture. And what can work very, very well is you take your cushion, you spray it down pretty well with uh, whatever you want to treat it with and you place it inside of a large plastic bag and then what you do is you take a vacuum cleaner and you put it on the corner of the uh, you know of the cushion and enclose you know the the area where you're touching the you know the the cushion to the vacuum uh, uh, attachment and it, it it's like one of those what do they call them, Val, on TV? They have that. Um, it's for storage. You know, it's those bags. Uh-huh, for clothes or Correct. cushions. And Correct. I, bags, yeah, right? and what happens is, you know, the, you store it in this real small space. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm drawing oh, that it. sucks the air out. Yeah, yeah, yeah correct. Yeah, yeah. It sucks the air out. Uh-huh. works exactly in, in that method. And what's happened is all the air that uh, is being drawn out has to pass through that cushion. So mm-hmm. it works fairly well. You know, you can do that a couple of times and, you know, perhaps that may, uh, you know, help someone. So, you know, we've got that, but we're kind of getting towards the end of our time. So what we're going to do at this point is we're going to go into our roundup. So what I'd like you to do is, uh, just hang on, if you will, Dr. Delia. we're going to bring on, uh, Dr. Wall at this point and, uh, see what, 
you know, comments he has on your interview. And uh, I'll come back and ask you a final question, and we'll kind of take it from there. Okay, sounds good. Move him on, hit him up, hit him up, move him on, move him on, hit him up, raw high. Cut him out, ride him in, ride him in, let him out, cut him out, ride him in, raw Dr. Weil. Yes, I see we just woke up uh, Ludwig van Beethoven again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, I can hear just about once every day. Right, good. Uh, I have a whole page full of notes, and uh, Dr. Delia, right? Is that correctly Delia. pronounced? Delia. Delia, all right. Uh, first of all, <laughs> make sure... When you say uh, what the name of your company is, I said, oh, what we do in prison, it's prison. <laughs> I laughed at it and said, what the heck is she doing in prison? <laughs> <laughs> so it's prison. Anyway, um, I also heard that Alice Hamilton was mentioned in the very beginning. And I certainly suggest to anybody who is interested in occupational health, industrial hygiene or whatever, get a book uh, authored by Alice Hamilton, a very prolific uh, uh, writer. Uh, it's called um, Exploring the Dangerous Trades. It's, she is a fantastic uh, uh, author. It's unbelievable to uh, read. Um, another one, I, I just said, these fire residuals, and I know... Um, that you are interested in it, and I know that Cliff is interested in that, and I was and am interested in it, and very and uh, Dr. Delilah uh, uh, mentioned that uh, very correctly. Fires have changed because we put new things into the fires. A fire a hundred years ago didn't have nylon in, didn't have Teflon in it, and it didn't have. Uh, uh, whatever other chemical there is. The other thing, and that is one of the things that bothers me, and I, I don't even know how lawyers handle that. Um, there are authorities in this country, uh, authorities which give suggestions to ventilation, and they say, well, if 80% of the people in the, um, in the uh, office uh, area are fine, hell with the other 20%. <laughs> um, but this is indeed the case. They do. 80 to 20. I raise an eyebrow and uh, at least a pink flag when I have one. The other thing is benzene. I don't think it's a big deal anymore. We have taken benzene out of paint. And how often do you paint your house? And how often do you paint your house uh, indoors uh, with paint that even has uh, any benzene in it? Uh, we, we, we use other products. And the benzene uh, to which we were exposed, about 5% of it was in gasoline. We have taken that one out. 
not to protect me, but I guess in New Jersey, in New Jersey, you are not capable of uh, filling your own tank. You need somebody. So there is somebody, yeah, eight hours a day or thereabouts, who is uh, exposed to fumes from gasoline, whatever they may be. I fill up my car every two or so, maybe every three weeks. I don't drive much anymore. So I'm not concerned about that one. The other ones are alcohols. Uh, and I took a lot of air samples in, uh, alco- uh, in, uh, in alcohols, with alcohol, in hospitals. And um, if you don't find any alcohols in an air sample in a hospital, you did something wrong. And I agree 100% uh, with doctors. Delia, or Delia, uh, control the source. Then you don't have a problem. Heck with it. Uh, what is the next one? Uh, bathroom vents. Make sure that your bathroom vent goes to the outside. The moron who built my house put my bathroom vent into the attic. Therefore, I don't use it. So that is another one. Uh, the other one is filtration. Uh, there is no good way to get rid of VOCs in filtration uh, in a normal house. I, uh, I worked 10 years for the Bayer Chemical Corporation. Believe me, I know how to scrub that one out. But in a, in a house where somebody has allergies of any kind, the particulate is Today is relatively easy to control, and it is not very expensive. And today there are units available. They have basically a pre-filter that takes care of the big particles, uh, 10 micrometers or larger, the cat hair, the dog hair. Um, Then after that one is out, you run it through an electrostatic precipitator, which is, well, let's go one step back. That filter that takes out the big particles is lousy against small particles, bacteria, mold spores, uh, skin cells, and all of those things. It's lousy. It's terrible. However, here comes the next one. The electrostatic precipitator is lousy against the big particles. You just got rid of those. So, therefore... (laughs) The electrostatic precipitator is doing exactly what it is designed to do, and it does a marvelous job. It's unbelievable. One problem, one problem, maintenance. You've got to clean the plates. If you can't do that, forget about it. The other thing is uh, what uh, Dr. Delia said is when you paint... Damn it, open the front door and the back door and every window and put a fan in there. Don't inhale that stuff. I have absolutely no idea what's in it. I really don't care, but that's how I do it. Um, the uh, a, a, Another one is on the sampling. And uh, we, I know that's your bread and butter, but we got to, and I think Joe said that in one of the previous shows, Before you do sampling, make sure that you know why you are sampling and what to do with the results. I have a couple of friends and acquaintances. They said, Dieter, 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 I took 40 samples um, 
and I sent them into the laboratory for GC mass spec, and they got me 40 sheets of results. Uh, can I email them over to you? I said, well, you can. And there I get 40 sheets from the GC mass spec. I know GC inside out, and the only thing I really know about a mass spec, I know how they work, but I'm very good at designing ultra-high vacuums, which we need over there. But anyway, uh, said I got these 40 pages over here, and I have... This chemical over here at one part per trillion or billion said, do you know what that means? I said, I have absolutely no idea. I have no idea what that chemical is. I've never seen it before, most likely never see it before. I created this morning in my kitchen VOCs when I made peppermint tea. Boy, did that smell good. Was there a VOC in the air? Yes, there was. What was it? I have no idea. For all I know, it could be a carcinogen or something, and in high quantities, it would not be good for me. And then I ate a banana. Guess what? The banana smelled like a banana. I wonder why. <laughs> because there was a VOC that comes from the banana. I have no idea what it is. Um, that's uh, secondhand, uh, for, for that matter, thirdhand uh, cigarette smoke. Uh, I think that is a nuisance. Somebody years ago tried to convince me that secondhand smoke is worse than primary smoke, which, of course, is complete garbage. We are talking about a difference of a, a, a number of 100,000 uh, lower or higher. And uh, I get to the last one, and I tell everybody, friends, be very careful with ozone. Ozone is in the same class of chemicals of nitrogen dioxide, and there is another one. If I were to tell people to use that one, they said, nope, I'm not going to do it. Uh, that is absolutely ridiculous. COCL2, which is phosgene. All three of them are pulmonary irritants. They oxidize everything, including your uh, uh, alveoli, uh, those are the air sacs at the bottom of your lung. They destroy them like you will not believe. So ozone is not a fun little chemical with which you can play. If you don't know what to do with it, do not use it. You don't want to have a couple of hand grenades in your house with the pin being pulled and a rubber band held in. Uh, that is not a good way to handle that. That is what ozone is. It it can be it can be devastating if you use it too long. And I take another breath. And uh, yeah, we talked about nylon and Teflon and fire uh, residuals from new fires and old fires and GCs mass spec. And I hope we got a hundred uh, answers to our trivia question of what. CH2O is, I'm pretty sure we have uh, one. We, we got, Otherwise, we got, we, I give them a hint. No, you it's can, you, also being generated in cigarette smoke and in fires. No, you can give it away. Someone texted it in. So. Oh, good God. I, everybody should know that. It's one of the nasty aldehydes. It's formaldehyde. Right. And uh, so that is fine. All right. Okay. I... 
take a deep breath and I shut up. How about that? Dieter's... I know everybody is applauding now. I don't hear. <laughs> <laughs> Dieter, thanks. As, as always, we appreciate your, uh, you know, your comments and your participation uh, in the show. Okay, well, uh, back to Dr. D'Elia. My final question, I, I, I was very interested in the Chinese drywall sampling that your company was doing. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, um, that's, a, that's, a, that's been a kind of a tough, tough problem because the amounts that are in the drywall of the compounds that are really causing the problems are actually fairly low. So it takes a while for them to build up um, to a level that can be detected. Um, so the, the main thing that we look for for that is a couple of sulfur compounds that are, are indicative of the presence of, of Chinese drywall. Um, there are some other tests that can be done having to do with taking like a, a little strip of copper and putting it in various locations and then watching the level of uh, oxidation that may occur on that particular um, uh, strip. Um, there actually, I believe, is now some guidance put out by the Consumer Product Safety Commission that includes some of that kind of testing as additional contribution. Um, so, uh, so that, that's really you know, we're kind of looking. It's more of an indicator as opposed to a, a really uh, con confirming test uh, in terms of for the drywall to see if there might be additional work that has to get done. Okay. Well, I thought that it was um, you know, a good place where some science was was necessary. Val. Okay, doctor, thank you very much for joining us. And we always like to give our guests the last word to add anything that you'd like to add in and also to provide your contact information that our listeners can maybe get in contact with you. Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, I guess the sort of last word I would give to, or the, the piece of, of our thought, thought takeaway kind of thing is uh, – you know, this stuff can be really complicated with the different chemicals and the particulate and all these different factors that can, that can play into it. But I think the really the most important thing to do is to be aware of your surroundings and what you have in them, what you have in your house, in your office, what, you know, what kind of things do you, how, how have you built your house, you know, what kind of renovations do you do, what can, you know, all those kinds of things that you, that you don't really think about normally or you think about them only in terms of how much it's going to cost me or what kind of arrangements we have to make or you know, those kinds of things, but just, just be aware of, of, you know, what, what it is that you're actually putting into your own air. Um, I think that's really, really one of the, the most important things that, that, that you can do, anybody can do, um, without any kind of a technical background or experience or knowledge or anything like that. Um, so that's, that's, that's kind of my, my, my last word on that one. Um, in terms of compact information, um, so PRISM, analytical technologies, I'll try to Enunciate that a little better, so, so nobody thinks I'm going to prison or anything like that. Um, we're uh, located in Michigan, um, and uh, we do all sorts of air air testing. Um, the home air check is a is a big part. We do do quite a few other things as well. Um, um, we do have a regular website. Uh, uh, it's a uh, www.pati-air.com. Uh, that's sort of our regular prison website. We have uh, our home air check website. It's uh, www.homeaircheck.com. It's all one word. Um, in terms of a uh, phone number, uh, we can be re you, can, we can, you can reach us here at 989-772-5088. And you can also feel free to give me a, a, send me an email with any questions or, or problems that you have you would like to discuss. My email is a.de.com. 
L-I-A at P-A-T-I dash A-I-R dot com. Okay. Well, before we leave, we want to thank today's guest, Dr. Alice D'Elia, my co-host, Radio Joe Hughes, our engineer, Val Bender, our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow. But most importantly, we want to thank you, our growing group of loyal listeners. Please come back and join us next time on IEQ Radio. Sometimes you fall down, can't get back up. Well, hiding behind skin and stoops of. How come we don't say I love you enough till it's too late? It's not too has been another IAQ Radio production. 